The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. The first college football playoff rankings are out. Why all of the faux outrage? Tyler from Spartanburg becomes a thing and will also look ahead to the weekend. This is the College Game Day podcast for the first day of November, which as our friend Jim Harbaugh would say, the air is crisper, the leaves are brown and falling, and it's time to win championships. I'm sure we'll talk about Jim Harbaugh in another context a little later on. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel with you. Uh, Pete, let's start with the college football playoff rankings. I'm not surprised Ohio State's number one. I thought Georgia might be. Uh, because there is the committee's mandate is not to evaluate the best resume, which Ohio State undisputably has, in my judgment, but it is to determine which team is best. And among the guys on the college football playoff top 25 show last night, not one of them said they thought Ohio State was the best team, yet all of them thought they had the best resume. I don't know if this is indicative. That almost seems staged, by the way, when everybody said a different team. I was like, "Come on, are we embracing yeah. debate here?" <laughs> no, no, we're really not. I mean, no, I didn't. They didn't even know I was going to ask them that. Okay, it just came to mind when Ohio yeah. State was number one because I noticed all of them saying, "I think Ohio State's going to be number one," but they weren't saying it with any conviction of like they are the best team. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe they will be. They don't They don't have to be the best team on November 1st. The idea is to be the best team on January 8th. If they keep playing and keep winning, they'll have that opportunity. But I don't think they're the best team, but I certainly think they have the best resume. And I think the question for this is, did we get an indication for how the committee is going to evaluate from this point forward? Or is it more simply the first rankings, which is what I suspect, that they have to start someplace? Yeah, it was uh, I, I was texting with uh, someone on the committee last night and they were like, how do you think we did? And I said, fine, until three weeks from now, you have to take back everything you said week one for your, all your justifications, <laughs> because that's really how these things happen. The first week is easy. Uh, I was certainly, you know, not a, not aggrieved by anything in these. I, I think I've been around too long to like overreact to week one rank. I think back to the first rankings release in 2014, Reese, Mississippi State was the number one team. Right. Mm-hmm. So and a lot deservedly can, so. Yeah. yeah, they were. Oh, no, no it's yeah. not disputing. It just shows like things can change, will change. And I thought the best point last night, it might have been Kirk or McElroy, was just like, this all looks like there's some pretty clear paths to working itself out. Now, I always root for chaos because since I can't root for teams. So I do hope there is a little bit of a little bit of chaos in there. We got some funky tiebreakers and some some different things. But you know, when you look at the the pairings of Ohio State. Michigan, and we can put Penn State in there too. Um, you know, th- someone said that everybody until Louisville basically controls their own destiny, and mm-hmm. I think that's very uh, that that's very fair. And you can kind of throw LSU almost in there too. They'd need a little help, but um, you know, if they win Saturday, that I think things shift a little bit around them too. They need they need some old Miss help there, I believe, right? But yeah, um, which yeah. they're going to get the following week. I'll go ahead and say, I yeah. mean. They're, I shouldn't say they're going to get because Ole Miss is good. They're likely to get the help they need next week when Ole Miss goes to Athens. Yes. You know, if they don't get a Saturday when Texas A&M comes in. So. Yes. Now, they would be the first two-loss playoff team, correct? I don't think we've had a two-loss playoff team. We have team. not. Yeah, we yes. have not. So, But if we were, were ever to get one, it would be 
in a muddled year in the SEC where you dethrone Georgia's, you know, we're assuming Georgia again. No offense to Coach Drinkwitz, who who has realized we've all we've all just chalked that game up and been very vocal him. about that, by the way. Uh, yeah, they're number that game. 12. They're, Missouri's 12. Yeah. No. Weird. But I tell you what, that K-State win looks looks pretty good right great. now. great. Yeah. And you know what? Here's the here's the thing though, Pete. I still I think there will need to be a fair amount of chaos oh, good. for a two loss LSU SEC champion to get in. I think yeah. that is the path for all of the dreamers outside of the Southeastern Conference to have an SEC free playoff is a two loss LSU as conference champion, or it could still happen as a two-loss Alabama. Let's say Alabama wins Saturday, but then stubs its toe against Kentucky or mm-hmm. Auburn, assuming not both stubs their toe once against one of those two teams. They would still win the West, and yeah. then they go and upset Georgia. They're not getting in, and I don't think I mean, it's chaos. LSU would have a well, especially problem. if Texas a one-loss Texas right. comes out of there. Now Texas yeah. got plenty of problems ahead of them. Don't get me yeah, wrong. Yeah, they so. they do for sure. But I'm just saying, I think that a two-loss LSU, even as SEC champion, and even though their two-loss resume would be far superior to the other two-loss teams that have been left out over the years, it would be closest, probably. It would be closest to Alabama's last year in terms of the their losses. The difference would be in that scenario, LSU would actually be a conference champion. But you know, the two like two loss Penn State that people were all mad about in 2016, they got beat by nearly 40 points in a game mm-hmm. against Michigan. You can't do that, you know, and get the benefit of yeah. the doubt. LSU doesn't have that. You know, they've got they've got two tight losses away from home against good teams, mm-hmm. and they'll be a conference champion. But if you have under, can you imagine the fine bomb calls? Oh my goodness! The Monday after that selection show, I mean that like an entire region would melt down, entire identity would melt down, and then wherever the first playoff game is, you know the fans would just chant SEC, SEC <laughs> to uh, to throw it to throw it back in their uh, to throw it back in their face. Um, yeah. yeah, that yeah, Greg Sankey would be apoplectic if well. That scenario emerged, but I, I'm not. I'm just saying that for from the theater, yeah. right? We we can only, you know, we we stand back and watch the circus, right? So that would be that would be a a whole new Barnum and Bailey. It it would be the one thing that I that I think is that I've I've heard some people say, and I respect the judgment on it. I just don't necessarily agree with it. Is that Florida State's in trouble? I don't really think so um, because I think their situation is pretty much what it was anyway they really can't afford a loss they probably can't put themselves in the mix of being a one loss champion in that Mm -hmm. in that situation you know they bring themselves into the group of being evaluated but if if they win their games they're fine because you know Ohio State and Michigan are going to play each other they're not going to be left out uh, in favor of whoever loses that game Um, you know the SEC thing is going to play its way out. There's going to be no more than one team from the SEC, and the Pac-12 thing probably will too. You know, the question probably comes down if they're a one-loss champion, and everybody's sort of a one-loss champion with the exception of maybe one team, which I believe our playoff indicators say is the most likely scenario, is that there will be only one undefeated Power 5 champion. In that case, then assume well, if it's Florida State, they're fine. But if it's not Florida State, maybe they're in some jeopardy. But the fact that they're four, there, I don't think there's any risk at all for the Seminoles winning the rest of their games and then winding up number five. I, I just I don't see that happening at all. 
No, I mean, no power five undefeated team has ever been close. And again, when they beat Clemson, it was a different Clemson than we're sitting here now with, with, with four, with four losses. I will say this, whoever scheduled that Florida state LSU game should get a gold star from Mike Alford, the Florida state Mm -hmm. athletic director, because without that game, I think that conversation is a little more real. No Um, question. No question. Yeah. And Uh, and also they're rooting, they're rooting for Louisville too. I mean, if, yes, because then they can have another big time game at yes. the end because North Carolina has let them down. You know, mm-hmm. that looked like a big opportunity for them. Certainly, uh, you know, there's no rematch with Clemson, as we uh, anticipated might be the case. But if Louisville continues to run through and the schedule, uh, you know, I've, I've said it before, if you're not good enough, loss will find you. It already has. You know, mm-hmm. it, it found them, and Louisville was certainly good enough to win the rest of its games. They still have to deal with Miami. That'll be, you know, that'll be a tough one. In Virginia Tech this weekend, and Virginia are both playing much better. And Virginia Tech's in the mix for the ACC, at least right now, so that you can't assume that Louisville's going to run through this. But if you had to pick one way or the other, you probably would, and that ultimately will help Florida State if Louisville has moved up maybe even a top-10 team uh, by the time the ACC championship game comes around, that will certainly help solidify their case. If um, yeah. you know, if it comes to that, and Louisville could beat Florida State, by the way, like you know, Jamar Jordan is is taken over games, and we, we saw this at Purdue when Jeff Brom is calling plays. If things are going right, they can beat anyone in the country, right? And they have they have the the skill to do it, and the defense we talked about uh, on the on the Monday pod, you know, is certainly stout enough and stops the run enough to 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 give FSU fits. And the one little caveat with Florida State and Riley, Riley Leonard wasn't healthy enough to do it. Um can run on Florida State a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, at least uh, if you look at the statistics. And so that's that's something that would serve Louisville well. But that's way down the list. We've got a whole month of ridiculous things happening uh before that. There are a couple other little things farther down in the rankings. I just don't get too bothered uh, by this, but, you know, Oklahoma state and Kansas, you know, right next to each other, but Oklahoma state won the game, Uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff. But I'm not too bothered by that because when you talk about head to head, Pete, head to head has to mean a lot, but it's impossible for it to mean everything. And here's what I Mm -hmm. mean by that, because then we, we come up with these convoluted scenarios. We either wait for one of the head-to-head victors to lose another game, which then all of a sudden now head-to-head, why does it matter less over one game, especially if the schedules might be different? And the example from earlier this year, you had a situation, granted earlier in the season, but you had a group of one-loss teams in the Pac-12. Washington State beat Oregon State, who beat Utah, who beat UCLA, who beat Washington State. Mm-hmm. So you had the you had the complete circle. They had all beaten each other. Okay, so why does head to head has to matter? You know, and maybe you can say, well, I eliminate team C and D because I don't think they're as good. Okay, why? They won. And so it it has to be a big, big part of the picture. And I, I know fans get very upset about this, particularly, let's say, Oklahoma fans <laughs> right now because they're ranked behind Texas after having that great victory. But it can't mean everything because of these other extenuating circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I suspect that Oregon 
is playing better. And it's only a couple weeks away, I understand. But Oregon might have more staying power, might be the better team than Washington. But right now, you you give Washington the nod because they're undefeated, because they won the game. Mm-hmm. But if Washington had lost, let's say, to Stanford, then maybe maybe you look at it and go, look, I know they won the game at home, rivalry game, but there's no way Oregon would have lost to Stanford. And so that has to matter too. Now, the Oklahoma loss to Kansas was to a good team. I think almost as troubling for that was the Kansas performance bookended with the UCF performance. UCF is dangerous. They've got mm-hmm. weapons, but if memory serves, they haven't won a conference game yet, right? So it's... um. I think they got one on a. Didn't they get one on a miracle or no? Oh no, they lost. They lost to yeah. They lost to uh, to Baylor. Yeah, UCF's zero and five in conference play. They're three and five overall. And you had to stop a two point conversion. Now these things happen, you know. So I'm not saying that condemns Oklahoma, but I'm saying it's part of the mosaic that you put together when you start evaluating these teams. Yeah, I uh, I agree with that, and I think that you need to. It's a funny juxtaposition right because texas is ahead of oklahoma because texas's loss is better than oklahoma's loss right mm-hmm. isn't that isn't that like simply distilled so in what in some ways it's a compliment to to oklahoma but you also have to take stock in how they've been playing right like mm-hmm. it, it's probably a little early to put oregon over washington mm-hmm. and and they will probably play each other and iron this out but again i wouldn't have kicked and screamed if those were flipped, I, I get it sort of defies basic logic. But I think when you go through this intricate exercise, which the people in the CFP will off, often tell you it is an intricate exercise, and you have to evaluate all these factors, that is only going to be one of the factors. So, again, this is not a new scenario, not a new argument. Luckily, the teams that were juxtaposing against each other all should if everything goes well if if this is actually going to be a valid argument in december they will have the opportunity to play each other so yeah. reese you really dig in on the on this stuff and, and obviously do a great job on on our uh, cfp ranking show give me like two or three of the chaos scenarios that have like just oh. bubbled up in your in your head the devil on your shoulders like, what about this okay here here's the one the first one another one of those round robin scenarios it seems improbable because of what we saw from Penn State's offense at Ohio State and because of the way Penn State played against Indiana. But as the great Lou Holtz taught me years ago, different team every week, and you don't have to be the best team in the nation. You just have to be the best team in the stadium that day. So Penn State beats Michigan. Which is like, I think, you know, on yeah, the table crazy. is real. It, How yeah, come that not game's crazy. not at night, by the way? I know why. But like, man, if I'm James Franklin, I am peeved about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And oh. then Michigan beats Ohio State. So yeah. you have the three-way tie in the Big Ten East. You have to get down to that tiebreaker that we uh, brought out the week that Iowa and Wisconsin played which now that's changed a little bit about who has the advantage there. And I don't recall who does at the moment, but you get down to that tiebreaker. It determines who gets to go to the big 10 championship game and almost certainly determines who's going to be the big 10 champion. Um, So that's the chaotic scenario too, particularly if let's say Ohio state uh, loses on a last second field goal. You know, and their only loss is on the road at Michigan. Great game. 
lose by a field goal. They were the committee's number one up to that point, number one or number two. Georgia might pass them before then mm-hmm. because of what Georgia is going to have the opportunity to accomplish. But you lose to the number three team in their place at the end of the game. Last second field goal, touchdown, whatever. Great game. You lose a close one, lose a heartbreaker. That's the chaos scenario for me, too, if you then have let's say, one loss Alabama SEC champion with one loss Georgia, which for most of the season, we were saying, well, no way Georgia's schedule is good enough. They can't afford a loss. You know, if they lose, they're going to be left out. That may prove to be the case, but now they, they're they playing in the next two weeks, number 12 and number 10, yeah. you know, and, and then after that, they play number 17, you yeah. know, so they're going to have, their schedule is going to look different at the end than it does right now. So I think if you have all of that, if you have all of the Big Ten teams with with one loss, you have Alabama and Georgia with one loss. Uh, you have, you're only going to have one of Texas or Oklahoma, but you have then Texas say, let's throw into the mix because then they beat Alabama, who would in the, under this sure. scenario would be the SEC champion. So, and, and by the way, I did want to say this as it pertains to head-to-head, if all else is equal at the end or very close to equal, then my my picture of the mosaic moves, then head-to-head carries a little more weight. You know, if, if, if all else is equal. But you also should evaluate how that particular game was played. Um, you know, in Texas-Alabama case, you have to evaluate that was the second week of the season. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the first champion of the playoff era lost what appeared to be a disqualifying game to a very average Virginia Tech team at home lost by, you know, a couple touchdowns. I think they scored a backdoor touchdown to make it that close, Ohio State. But clearly, that Ohio State team at the end of 14 was not what they were in September against Virginia Tech. So you have to take that into account. But head-to-head should matter a lot if everything's equal. But that's the chaos scenario to me. All three Big Ten teams have a single loss, only won the champion. Both SEC teams have a single loss. And and maybe you know what you could also throw into the mix. Oregon avenges its uh, uh, loss to Washington and wins another great game, and they have one loss. And you know, Florida State. I'll say this for Florida State because the ACC teams have let them down a little bit. Maybe that makes it fun too. But I think the ACC is left out in likelihood under this scenario. If then you also throw Louisville in as the one loss ACC champ, maybe not. You know, maybe Louisville's so impressive in that game they sneak in. But mm-hmm. that's the that's the scenario where everybody has won and a bunch of them have beaten each other. That's the that's the chaos scenario. That's good. That's some good good chaos scenario in there. We uh, we we definitely uh, we definitely root for chaos. Um, it'll spice up the ranking show if uh, if if nothing else. Man, so. we need it. We need it too, Pete. We've been several years in a row where um, yeah, we've been several years in a row that. It's been kind of a foregone conclusion. I mean, even last year, I mean, I understood the argument that that Alabama was making about the two losses at the end, but they also had three wins against pretty average teams. It also came right at the end. You mm-hmm. know, sure, they could have been undefeated. They also could have lost four or five. You mm-hmm. know, so I didn't really think that they had a great argument last year. And Ohio State, as as good as as it was. Ohio State sort of just became the least objectionable option, you know, yeah. for for the last spot. Last year would have been a great year for the BCS, 
You know, instead of yeah. one versus two. Uh, sure. Then again, you know, TCU wouldn't have had the opportunity. But we need we need some. I, I want to see that drama and the only person in our building other than the producers is that graphics operator having to type in the name, you know, of who the last team is. That's that part will be fun. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We, we have Ryan McGee, who's, who's just popped in on the Zoom. I wanted to ask you, Reese, about... I thought it was a great question to Boo Corrigan uh, about whether the the Michigan sign stealing investigation would impact the the room. Um, just curious what you thought of his what you thought of his answer. I mean, they they showed Ward Manuel in the room, so uh, if we've learned one thing about the CFP, it is a non controversial organization, right? Like Bill Hancock is. No drama, won't tell you the sky's blue, smiles, shakes everybody's hand. You know, <laughs> if, you want to, if you want him on the radio in Gadsden, Alabama, he'll go on the radio for half an hour and tell tell spin stories. So they they weren't exactly going to make themselves a lightning bolt. Um, so the, the answer was predictable. I want I was curious if from what you've heard in in you know preparing for that interview, if you think that is the case indeed. And, uh, and and I'm curious what uh, what Ryan thinks about all the all the chicanery, because I'm sure there's a story about ACC officials wearing shorts in the 80s that involved <laughs> sign stealing. To some, to some uh, first of all, on on Boo's answer and Boo's put in a tough spot, as yeah. I, you know, I kind of preface preface the question to Kalen DeBoer uh, in that way, because you know, I didn't want I mean, if he wanted to do that was up to Kalen, but I didn't want to pit it as he was going after Boo or Boo was taking a direct shot at him. Boo Corrigan's role on Tuesday nights is to certainly tell us what he thinks, but it is mostly to represent the um, decisions of the committee as a whole. So I thought the, uh, the answer as it pertained to Michigan was simply that there is no directive but their charge is to evaluate what happens on the field. That's why I went with the follow-up to, to ask, are you encouraging committee members to put that aside if they are inclined to be to be uh, grossly offended by what is alleged at Michigan? And, you know, that's uh, that was what I was getting at. But the bottom line, Pete, is you can't control how people think. Mm-hmm. And that is the beauty of the committee. For years and years, we hated the formula. We wanted people. We got to apply some common sense. Well, if you're going to apply common sense with human beings, some of them are going to be more bothered by the alleged sign stealing. Others will be less bothered. 
Some will have the ability to say, I'm very bothered, but I can make a judgment and put that aside. I can I can put it aside and say that's something, as Boo said last night, for the NCAA to adjudicate, not the college football playoff committee. And others will try to do that and will not be able to do it as much, and it will creep in. And I think all of that is reasonable. That's why you have 13 people. And that if you want common sense exercised or some semblance of judgment exercised, and I do, I think that's better than a pure formula, then you're going to have to live with some of that. What do you think about, about that, Ryan? Yeah, I agree with that. And and it's um it's an interesting uh we wanted humans in the room and we both have participated uh, I know Reese, you and I have participated in at least one together. These mm-hmm. these college football playoff selection committee mock, you know, uh, exercises, and everything is recreated. We sit in the same room in Grapevine, Texas. Uh, you know, the same guys, same people are looking at the computers. We have the same notebooks. I remember right, we, we sit in the same chair. We know who our nameplate is. And, who were you, Ryan? Well, I was trying to think. I think the the um trying to think the first year I was someone really not. Like I was not excited. I, I was I was an AD from somewhere, and I don't want to say anyone's name because I want to offend anyone. But but it's but there's then, a lot I, of not exciting ADs. But so. then I was but then I, but then I was Barry Alvarez, and I felt very powerful oh. at that point because uh, I, I did you make like, yourself the interim coach for whatever bowl you put yourself? Godfather, yeah. Yeah. you were the I, Godfather yeah. that time. Yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm not going to use mob ties again because I'm already in trouble <laughs> with you guys. So. But 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 what was interesting in that room was how it changed depending on who was in the room. And it, you know, it's, it's Stockholm syndrome, right? It's groupthink. And so, you know, the first time I did it was in a room full of writers, sports writers from, from all these different areas. P, you might've been there. It was all these different writers from all these different, you know, places. And that room was a lightning rod because it's a bunch of sports writers. And then the second time I did it was with a lot of our ESPN analysts who were former players and they had natural built-in biases. Most of the guys in that room had played at a power five, you know, national championship contending program, they don't want to hear anything about Boise state, like nothing. <laughs> and so, so, so it was really interesting being in that room, but what strikes me is, um, you know, looking at the, at the rankings from, from Halloween night. And I, in fact, I still have, I still have my, one of my binders, all my binders from all those, uh, from those mock selection committees. I don't ever throw anything away. Page one, right. The cir- when circumstances at the margins indicate the teams are comparable, the following criteria must be considered. Championships one is listed first, and strength of schedule is listed second. Then it's head-to-head competition and comparative outcomes of common opponents and all that. But the strength of schedule is what always jumps out to me because, you know, we we, we want to penalize teams that don't play. They don't play nobody, Paul, and we want to reward those who have played someone. And I saw a little bit of that on Halloween night, but I didn't see as much of that as I thought I would. I mean, I love Michigan. I, I think JJ McCarthy's great. They've played no one. I, you know, I write the bottom 10. Uh, uh, most of the teams on Michigan's schedule have been in the bottom 10 at some point or another this year. So it didn't surprise me that they weren't number one, but it did surprise me quite honestly that they were ahead of like Washington just because I mean, Reese, you correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like in the first nine years of this, eight years or whatever it's been, very early on, they've rewarded teams who've played difficult schedules, and they've told the other ones, all right, Michigan, you wait here because we know you're going to play who you're going to play in November. And I didn't see as much of that or maybe as strong of that as I thought I might see uh, I, I, in, in this Ryan, from listening to Boo 
afterwards. And, you know, and then we had Kalen DeBoer, as I mentioned, on afterwards. I think you would have seen more of that had Washington played better against Arizona State and Stanford. I think that yep. was pretty clear that there was there were enough people in that room that said, okay, they won. And I think we're also at the point in the season, and this is a little bit more personal. I can't say that this is definitely the way the committee thinks about it. I'm much more lenient for one of those this yep. time of year because yep. you're in the middle of the grind. They had two. Right. And while Stanford's improving, and so is Arizona State, if you're a playoff team, national championship caliber, you can't have both of them. Right. And and I think that's what got Washington. Uh, but the good news for them is they're still undefeated. If they win all their games, they're going to be fine. I, I believe anyway. Yeah. But I think that's I think speaking to what you're talking about, I think had Washington blitzed those two teams, or at least blitzed one of them. And, and maybe blitzed one of them and not had quite the scare at home that they did against Arizona State. And that, by the way, that is exhibit A to prove that those guys watched the games. Yeah. But um, yeah. if they hadn't had that, I think you might have seen it change a little bit for a little while. And they might have uh, they might have had to wait. Uh, maybe Michigan's a spot farther down, yep. you know, or something. And by the way, Pete, I told Reese this story not on camera last week, but I'll tell it to you. I told it on Marty McGee this past weekend. All right, you want a sign stealing story? 1992, I was on the video crew at Tennessee. We went to Johnny Majors the, the first year of the first ever conference championship game, and Alabama and Tennessee play third Saturday of October. We're pretty sure Tennessee is there. Tennessee and Alabama are going to play again in the SEC championship game. Um, typical Tennessee at the time. That's not exactly how it went down. But we go to Johnny Majors and we say, "All right, Coach, we have three cameras." that we have pointed offense, defense, special teams, you know, each end zone on, on, on the top of the press box. We have a fourth camera, and and we can point that camera at the Alabama sideline, and then we can sync up the game to whatever they're doing on the sideline and probably figure some things out. And Coach Majors dressed us down. Like, that's not how we do it here. It's oh. not the Tennessee way. That's not so-and-so. Come game day, I'm setting up my camera in the end zone, and on the radio comes my, my cohort, Link Hudson, who just retired at Tennessee. And, and, and Link comes over the radio. He goes, hey, point your camera up here and look and see what Alabama's doing. And Alabama unloaded a fourth camera and had a lens on it about as long as my leg pointed at the like Tennessee Stallings. <laughs> yeah. So it didn't bother Chief Stallings at all. So, yeah. so but, and that, but that was, again, so 92. So this is about the time that the rules were put together. Um, that, and 94 was the sta opposing mm -hmm. stadium. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think I think one of the big reasons for that, too, was because you start playing a team twice a year and that wasn't happening before. And, and so, mm -hmm. Interesting. so I, to, to me, yeah. that was always a huge factor because now all of a sudden conference championship games are showing up. And, but, uh, and, and now, obviously, with the playoff, that would be just, you know, crazy. I do need to remind you, Ryan, that the only signal that that Alabama team needed <laughs> yeah. was was put John Copeland, Eric Curry, yeah. Antonio tackle. Langham, and yeah. George Teague. Tackle. Or, go on the field. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> go hey. tackle somebody. They usually well, did, too. I always tell a story when that game was over with, Heath Schuler looked right at me and he goes, no one's beating them. He goes, I don't care who they play, no one's beating them. And and uh, he was right. They No one beat them all year. That was like uh, the, the famous thing in Alabama circles is uh, before they played Miami that year was I think a lot of our game day colleagues, you know, they were all talking about invincible Miami, no way Alabama, you know, stinks on offense or whatever. And, you know, they weren't great on offense, but uh, David Palmer said, uh, you know, they're talking about us like we're nobody. He said, we're not, he said, we're not nobody. We're Alabama. 
Well, they, you know, they they were they were unhappy when they took yeah. the floor of the Superdome that night and took it out on. But anyway, maybe they maybe they have Miami signs. Who maybe knows? they did. Maybe did, they did. Different rules. Did, different rules. How about how about uh, how about how about Jim McElwain, uh, by extension, being connected to two of the weirdest stories in the last you know fifteen years of college football? The weird shark story, which he really got mad about. Which I which I know Jim's. Uh, he's got a really good sense of humor. I really have never understood why that made him so mad. Uh, he should have laughed about it. Guy that looked like if you don't know the guy that looked like Jim McElwain was uh, lying on top of a shark on a boat someplace. It wasn't him. And then all of a sudden last night, he has to go in after the game and say, oh, we're trying to find out uh, who that guy was on our sidelines that people are saying looked like Connor Stallions. Hey, Pete, have you gotten to the bottom of that one yet or not? Yeah, I mean, we, we obviously we wrote a news story on uh, Tuesday that said that Central Michigan is investigating that. Um, we'll, we'll probably have some more stuff today uh, today about that. But let, let's put it this way. Let's use a logic exercise. Uh, Central Michigan was alerted on Monday afternoon. And you're only allowed 50 people in that coach's box. I've learned a lot about ticketing and how tickets work. And I've learned a lot about the coach's box in the last day. From the 20 to the 20, you get 50 passes. And it's EQ, assistant coaches, trainers, doctors, whatever. Uh, but there's not like a billion of those passes around. You have to fill out a little NCAA form, 11 dot whatever. I'm making the, the number. And the coach has to sign for it. And the... Uh, the AD has to sign off on it. So anyway, every week you fill out this form who can go in your, you can go in your box. So they did not have Connor Stallion's name on the form, but I'd say all this to say like, you just can't like buy that pass on StubHub. And mm. you, you, if it's a visitor bench pass, there is, there is a finite amount to it. So there is another layer that quite frankly, central Michigan scrambling a little bit now to, uh, to, to figure out McIlwain was on staff at Michigan with Stallions. Mm a bunch of the younger people on the Central Michigan staff and other people on the Central Michigan staff, not surprisingly, been at Michigan, right? That's usually how it goes. Like, you know, those, the big state school can, can spin off into the, uh, into the others. But yeah, it is, that one was, that one was all, uh, you know, all timer. I mean, it breaks on Halloween and he's dressed up as a Central <laughs> Michigan coach. Oh yeah. No, right? it, it, no it's the best. He it, it, just keeps getting better. Best. Yes. I mean, he's the, the absolute best. Early <laughs> in the game, there's a play where a Central Michigan tailback like runs through the bench area. That happens like once a game. We've all stood on sidelines at some point. And everybody like parts away or goes to help the guy, you know, oh, hey, hey, slow him down, whatever, pull him back up. And the, the guy purported to be Stallions, who's likely Stallions, pulls his hat down, looks at the ground, and is avoiding so much he trips over the field goal uh, thing on the sideline, uh, the, the net. <laughs> because he, you know, has been around long enough to know when the camera's going to go to the sidelines and three, four times a game, some dude runs through the sidelines and you end up there. But it, it literally everybody's like, whoa. And he's like, moving on. <laughs> it's, it's the yeah, military it's, training. Yeah, that's his military yes, training. Yeah, yes, you gotta, you gotta, that, yeah, he was he was yeah. there, there was some military training that showed up. I think some military training um, that he might have received on subtlety. We'd have to question the military on. Yeah, this, well, uh, well, maybe so. But I'll say this for the guy. Uh, a couple of a couple of friends from outside the business have recently gone to work for companies that I really didn't know existed. That basically they're logistics people who, who make stuff happen, which is the best way to describe it. Connor Stallions, if all of this is proven to be true, has probably uh, ended his coaching career. I would think. If I'm one of those logistics companies, I'm hiring that dude 
because he he's yep. brave, he's 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 creative, he's a little reckless. But if you can put some parameters, some you know guardrails, some bumper rails around him, he clearly comes up with different solutions to make things happen. And if I have a company whose sole mission is we've got to move this material from point A to point B, or we've got to make this happen for this person. I mean, I'm giving that guy a shot at it. The guy dressed up as, you know, he's like something out of a bad 80s high school football movie. <laughs> Puts on a hat and glasses and sneaks into a game, it looks like. Maybe, allegedly. You know, it's, it's like it's, Catch Me If You Can, it's right? for creativity. Yeah, it's like it's like that uh, Catch Me If You Can with Leo DiCaprio. Oh, the it's, guy, it's the, exactly the, it. Yeah, the guy that, that, that was movie, the best uh, Great movie. check faker of all time, and the FBI hired him to Man. catch you know people that were forging checks. Yeah. So, hey, by the way, you mentioned Halloween. So, Pete, literally, on Tuesday night, my wife and I are waiting on the neighborhood kids to come through, and I'm reading your story about Central Michigan, about the whole thing. Doorbell rings. My next-door neighbor, who's a Michigan alum, He's got with his two twin kids, and he is dressed like Jim Harbaugh, and he's got binoculars right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so even the Wolverines fans realize how wacko this thing is. Yeah, I've never seen one quite like this, Ryan. Like this one's yeah, this one's pretty, you know. And we're like ten days from knowing. That, like it was last. It was the Friday that we were at Ohio State for game day, Reese. Right. So yeah, that's when yeah, that's yeah. when that first emerged. So we're about ten days into this guy's existence, and you know, uh, like what will the next 10 days bring? It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's, it's all pretty fascinating. It's the greatest, um, well, it's the greatest sport in the world. I, I was substituting for Paul Feinbaum the day that the wakey leaks, the wake forest oh, yeah. deal broke. And, um, and same thing. I mean, you go from, you go from nothing at wake forest, you go from nothing to, this is all we talked about, you know, for the next two weeks. And it was, uh, and you know, and it had an impact and this will, this will have an impact one way or the other. I read something was reminded the other day, or maybe it was a tweet from Chris Lowe or someone who talked about, I guess, before a Florida Tennessee game that Spurrier left a fake play sheet down yep. in the hotel in hopes that Tennessee would grab it. And one of the staffers picked it up and brought it back to him. And HBC's like, no, 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 put it back, put it back. Leave it. You know, so yeah. there's all kinds of stuff. Did hey, Leach hey. do that too? Leach yeah. did that. There's a Leach famous did. Yeah, Le yeah, Leach Jake did Trotter that story. when he was yeah. in Oklahoma with Texas. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we did I a great a... piece on that a couple of years ago. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Jake Trotter wrote it. I, yeah. I, I, so right. I, I have another Ryan McGee as Forrest Gump story for you. So <clears throat> A video crew. We go down to Florida, and we're we, we had we had half a million dollars worth of video gear, and we don't want to have it in the Ramada Inn parking lot in Gainesville in a van. So Florida's like, yeah, you guys can put it in the in the uh, in the up in the office, lock it up in the office. So we go up to the office, and uh, Ron Zook is the only coach in the office, and just starts screaming at us. We got all our Tennessee stuff on and everything. What are you guys doing here? Da, 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 da. Someone goes, ah, just yelling at us. And I like Ron. I, I, I have a great picture of Ron yelling at my dad on the sideline. But but Ron, Ron was always very nice to me. But that night he just flipped out. We're like, what is wrong with this guy? And I'm not saying this is what was going on. But I am saying that when I got back to the hotel room that night, the little light was blinking on my that I had a message pre-cell phone kids. And, uh, and I picked it up. And my college roommates were calling me from Knoxville going, dude, they just caught some guy at the Kinko's facts in the playbook to Gainesville and the guy's name was Jack sells. Jack he was sales, a, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it was, so we had no idea. It wouldn't have mattered. I mean, Tennessee was going to lose that game the next night in the swamp anyway, but it was, um, but yeah, the point is this is not a new thing, um, sure. but there are regulations now and, um, <laughs> and, you know, and you can't be, the thing is you can't overdo it. 
I, I think if, if the lesson might be for any young coaches that want to break the rules out there, this is way too calculated. Like it's there's, there's too much of a plan. You know, you got to wing it a little bit. But it's uh, but anyway, but it's not boring. It's not. No, a, it, it is not boring. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Besting Game is brought to you by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. One of the things that makes it not boring and you don't see you know, in professional sports is you don't get the direct interaction very often of fans with coaches. Like, oh, I don't know, let's say Tyler from Spartanburg with Dabo Sweeney on his, on his college show, which was, which was electric. Now, first of all, Let's say this right up front. Fans being upset about a subpar season, that too is normal. And it's also great because if fans behave the way sometimes we in the media act as if they should and say, well, you should be grateful for the past and just say, oh, well, hey, our guys are trying hard and we'll get them next year. You know what? If you have that attitude about an enterprise, well, then the coach doesn't make $10 million. Media companies don't clamor for the rights to do it. The three of us don't have full-time jobs that that we love and that take care of our families. Being able to follow this stuff, if everybody's like, well, hey, that's a nice little entertaining three hours on Saturday afternoon, and I'm not going to think about it again until kickoff next Saturday afternoon. <laughs> it, you, you, you have to have a little bit of that. But... There's a limit to everything, and you can go way too far. And Tyler from Spartanburg did because he got way too personal with Dabo Sweeney. He got way too insulting, and he was way too know-it-all for his own good. And, um, you know, ordinarily, Booger McFarland and I were talking about this last night, and Booger was of the opinion that you're not going to win that, which is true. So you just have to wear it, which is reasonable. But the guy went so far, I felt like he had it coming. And yeah. good and good for Dabo to give for giving it to him because respect the fans, but respecting the fans doesn't mean that they get to say whatever they want to and no, there's no blowback. They yes, free speech. They certainly can say whatever they want to. I'm talking about they can't say it without expectation of getting it right back, especially if they're going to uh, approach it the way Tyler, which was my favorite part of. Dabo's rant, by the way, the way he said Tyler. <laughs> uh, Tyler from Spartanburg said it. You're going to get some blowback, and I thought that his blowback was well-earned. Pete, it's kind of like we're talking about with stealing signs. You can only go so far. You have to recognize, all right, you know, I, I, okay, I need to check it right here. I can't do 50 spreadsheets. I can't have, you know, an army of people working. You can't do these things. If you're Tyler... You for Spartanburg, which by the way, I, you know, I'm from the Carolinas. Y'all know this. The bet my daughters figured this out as a student at South Carolina. The best part of South Carolina Clemson football is, is call-in show, post-game call-in show. It's the greatest of all time, especially when the teams are struggling. But if you're Tyler, 
you cannot be that nuanced. You cannot start start dropping quotes from former coaches and this is your record since this and this is how much money you're making and you it was way too nuanced. And I give credit to Dabo in that he let him run. Like it was like deep sea fishing. That was surprising. He let yeah. him run. He let him run with the line for a long time and then he picked his spot. And so Tyler, you cannot be that nuanced. And then the best part is when when Dabo has his press conference on Halloween, the question was, you know, was who, who's going as Halloween? And somebody in the room yelled out Tyler from Spartanburg. <laughs> <laughs> and, and give Dabo and credit. Dabo's he laughed. Credit. Dabo oh, laughed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't be that nuanced and then be mad that, you know, you get smacked in the face. But, that, but Reese, that would have been a great time for one of the, one of the great, like, statements that you and I have heard our entire lives, which is at the end of a call, uh, coach, I'm going to hang up and listen to your comments. Yeah. <laughs> Tyler, Tyler could have used the coach. I'm going to hang up and listen to your comments because uh, he hung on the line and that was a mistake because he got punched in the nose. Yeah. I'm not overly familiar with, with all of these coaches shows anymore. Maybe the way I was, you know, 30 years ago or something, but there was a clip that generated on social media that sort of, um, that sort of, reminded me of the of different ways to handle it uh, i guess on saban's call and show that there's this guy peewee who gets the first call every week he's from somewhere in south alabama or something and so after maybe it was after they got beat by texas or maybe it was after the usf game or something and uh so saban when they say peewee's on the line saban i guess peewee's an offensive line aficionado or some such thing <laughs> saban goes into this launch about all the things the offensive uh, line is doing wrong or that they need to do better and they need to get fixed. And he tells Pee Wee's been waiting to hear from him and basically then goes, what, you know, what the hell's going on, Pee Wee? Like, they, <laughs> like, like he's looking for Pee, Pee Wee for answers. And while I think there's a different kind of relationship between those two and Tyler from Spartanburg, clearly and Dabo, it was sort of a funnier way to to deal with a caller who you kind of knew is probably gonna gonna offer some uh some critiques if nothing else. Yeah, I think we're at an interesting inflection moment for for Dabo here. He yep. is a quintessential victim of a monster he created, right? Clemson <laughs> had some nice moments, but Clemson's never been a monster like it was in the pretty much decade before this season, right? 35 years they didn't sniff a national championship, Pete. Oh, right. <laughs> he, started, he, he went full Danny Ford, Frank Howard. He, he went through a whole history lesson, man. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's always a fascinating case study in fan behavior when you are blaming the coach for not living up to what the coach did. So <laughs> I, I know it's true. Like this is, yeah, no. this is, this is all Dabo, right? At the end of the day. Now they had great administration, great support. Obviously I think they miss Brent Venables tremendously, right? He was the backbone. There was a pretty distinct pivot point from there. They had some good offensive coordinator hires. Um, I think Dabo right now, if you, you take a snapshot of where he and his staff are, there's some overlays to what happened to David Shaw at Stanford. Now, David didn't have that level of success, but Stanford obviously had never had the, the national championship level mm. of success. But I, they 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 fell a little bit too in love with their own program and promoted people from within their own program and the lack of outside ideas. Because uh, remember, Chad Morris was the first guy who came in and really uh, you know uh, got that offense uh, going. And then there was a string of coordinators after uh, after that all of whom, you know, um, 
but some came from the inside too. But it was an outside infusion that started this, and then they were very successful moving people up from the inside, be it Tony Elliott, Jeff Scott, etc. Brandon Streeter didn't end up working out, but did have some you know good years there, different position coaching. But the point is, if you look at that Clemson staff right now, it's a lot of guys who've been at Clemson, who've been through the success, who've seen it all, and you wonder if now Dabo has to take a step back and say, do we need an influx of outside ideas. Now, he again, they went out and, and made a pretty distinct move. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Reese, because you would remember the week-to-week week better than me. If they beat South Carolina last year, they probably go to the playoff, right? Um, yeah, They were in probably. the conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah they, they, they were definitely Ohio, like I, I said yeah. earlier, when we were talking yep. playoff, Ohio State was sort of the uh, least objectionable option last year yeah. for that fourth spot. Yeah, so, yeah probably so. They probably so they're get there. darn close, right? You know, they're a playoff level team conversation team last year. Now, obviously, they're four and four this year. And I will say this for Tyler if you have a talk show and you're underperforming, you get paid handsomely to go to your talk show. So if some guy wants to read a, you know, Tiger Insider message board manifesto, you've got to take it to some extent. Now, I don't, I don't have Agreed. any problem with Dabo responding. But mm. you you can't show up at four and four to your talk show and and expect lilacs and roses to be thrown at you. So I have no problem with Tyler did, and I have no problem with Dabo being human. I think one thing about Dabo that I've always appreciated is he's let it rip, right? Like mm-hmm. Dabo has always gone straight from his soul, and he's been authentic mm-hmm. about that. I do think what's happened to Dabo maybe in the last four or five years is once he won the second title, he sort of earned a pulpit where anything he said was considered news. And I think that has made him a little bit uncomfortable in the past few years. So if, you know, when he was in his third year there and they were pretty good and contending for ACC studies, if he said something about NIL, now it didn't exist then, whatever, news of the day, it would have been, oh, the guy from Clemson said that. Now he became Dabo, who everything he says is headline news and debated and talked about. And he's always stayed authentic. And some of his takes are divisive, quite frankly. And when you're saying it from a two-time national championship pulpit, you're going to cause more division. And I do think there's part of Dabble like most humans who want to be liked. So he all of a sudden earned this pulpit, heard his voice echoing through, heard the feedback from that, and got uncomfortable with it. And I think we've just seen that show up in the in, in the last few years. Again, another problem he created, but still something that, you know, now that now that uh, water's found its level a little bit, and inherently nobody's going to go undefeated forever, the, the, you know, the, the, here we are at these crossroads. You know, one but, of the things I wonder about with them as it pertains, and we'll get more into this on Friday when we do our picks. I think every week it's real easy to say, now we go with Clemson. Okay, now Tyler has, has ticked off Dabo, probably insulted the entire Tigers. Here comes Notre Dame. Now we go. Well, shouldn't they have gone against NC State? I mean, and the thing is, you know, the one thing I'll say, I'll say, Pete, I think they're okay on defense. It's offense. I agree. And and I yeah. think it's I think it's offensive line and wide receivers, and they need better quarterback play. And, you know, I mentioned this on, a, on another show. I don't think we've talked about it uh, on this show, Ryan, or on this podcast. We have this idea that because a quarterback is a five-star guy, as soon as he gets his chance, especially if he has a good moment or two early, that he's got to be a finished product. Cade Klubnick is not a finished product. He's not close to it right now. That doesn't mean he can't get there. It doesn't mean he can't get better. But they need to play better around him. And also this whole transfer portal thing, everybody's like, well, if he'll just embrace the transfer portal, it'll all be fixed. 
Maybe he needs to adjust that. But Pete, you and I talked to Kirby Smart this offseason. What was the figure he used? Wasn't it like 80 to 85% mm-hmm. retention that they go for? Yes. That's that's not far from the Clemson model. Now, I understand that that Georgia has supplemented. They picked Correct. up a couple of receivers this year. I get that. But you don't have to. I mean, you really don't. You know, if you, but you have to recruit at a high enough level and get the guys who you can keep uh, to do it. So, would he be better served maybe to be in the mix for Keon Coleman? Sure. I mean, nobody's going to dispute that. But he doesn't have to become USC or Colorado either. You know, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't have to. And I think this notion that, well, he should just go out and get a new offensive line from the portal. Hey, it doesn't work that way. And, and it shouldn't work that way for him. It's not what he believes in. And no one should should suggest, in my judgment, that that's the path to fixing Clemson. The path to fixing Clemson is to get better on the offensive line, improve your quarterback play, and find Mike Williams and Sammy Watkins again, like you, you know, yep. like you have in the past, you know, with uh, with those guys on the outside. Yeah, it, 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 I tell you what, it all makes me appreciate Nick Saban even more mm-hmm. because you know, the, you know, you have X's and O's coaches and you have CEO coaches. Dabo's a CEO coach. He, he he's as good as his staff. It's always been that way. I, I think he would acknowledge that. And, and, you know, I remember going in his office when he was the interim head coach and he had all these three ring binders stacked up. And this was all the notes that he had taken over all the years, including mostly from Gene Stallings. And it was all the coaches he'd worked under. And he's like, if I'm ever given the chance, this is what I'm going to do. There was no football in there. It was all how huh. do you run practice? How do you recruit? You know, what kind of building do you need? You know, what are your facilities? What are they going to eat? It was all that kind of stuff. And so you, you think about, the fact that he kept that staff once he had the right combination with Jeff Scott and, and with Tony Elliott and with, with Brent Venables, and he kept that group together for a long time. But then once they inevitably started leaving for head coaching jobs, which happens at Alabama every single year, <laughs> and and we talk about you know the fact that he's got to get you know Klubnik up to speed. Well, it's exactly what Alabama's had with Jalen Milrow, and they they burned the building down and then they rebuilt it, and they're really good, and the quarterback's really good, so. Saban just keeps doing over and over and over again for, you know, going into two decades, what other coaches can do for a for a really intense period of time and then have to figure out how to keep it going. Kirby Smart's not to that second chapter yet, and I'm curious to see how he handles it. So far, really, really well. So he's as good as his staff, and and it's going to – and again, like like transfer portal, Saban has figured that out. He figured out how, how it fits in his building. And um, and Clemson, I think, is still trying to figure it out. But it's it's uh, and you know and 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 uh, even handling callers on the call-in show, you know, during the week, you know, Saban does <laughs> that very well. And now uh, and now, you know, I think that uh, Dabo's getting there. Well, the thing is, is Dabo's accomplishments are yeah. beyond dispute. Yeah, but there, I will say that probably because of the persona that's been created, maybe because of uh, the fact that he's a younger guy. I think even the callers on Nick's show are a little bit afraid. You know 100%. I mean? Yeah, 100%. You know, so, yeah. And maybe yeah. and maybe the callers on Dabo's show, while happy for what he's done, they are less afraid. You know, he, he's always been one of them. And I think Nick has been very respectful to the fans. But there there's certain coaches have an aura about yeah. them that – with the fans. And I think Nick certainly has that. He's not the only one, but you know, he, he ain't one of them. Yeah. He ain't one of them. (laughs) Yeah. He is to a degree, but they understand, they understand 
they understand the, uh, the the separation. But anyway, it'll be the Clemson Notre Dame game is going to be one of the somehow under the radar, semi under the radar games on a big Saturday yeah. that will be fascinating to watch as Clemson's in danger of falling under 500. Remember, and, Notre Dame just crushed them last year, Reese. Yeah. Just yeah, manhandled yeah. them. Well, yeah. the, everything in the world, Pete, like that gives you the old now we go feel. You know, they that and I was just thinking, I went and looked back while while we were talking. Clemson, I think, peaked at number eight in the college football playoff rankings. And while maybe they would have made the playoff last year, and it certainly is, Ryan said they would have been in the mix. That might have been a near disqualifying loss because of the yeah. way it happened. Sure. You know what I mean? Because you're right. They just, they killed them. And so there's going to be that and a lot of, a lot of other factors too. It'll be one of the great games uh, this weekend. Ryan, always a pleasure, my friend. Appreciate the stories and the time that you give us and, um, and ho- hope you have a great college football weekend. Y'all too. Appreciate it, boys. I hope some Bama fans troll you for accusing them of cheating 92. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. They already did. No. <laughs> the, early, the early 90s Alabama fans are more yeah. of the, uh, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Variety. That's fair. I, I told that story on a stage in the parking lot at the cocktail party on Saturday, oh. and one guy, as soon as we hit commercial break, went, the hell with you, man. I was like, all right. And he's a, he had, had his Bama jersey on. So, yeah, they're still out there. <laughs> hey. Thanks, guys. That's why we get the jobs, Ryan. That's, That's why we have the good jobs. That old boy right there pays my bills, fellas. That's right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast. Picks coming up on Friday with Stanford Steve. Great to have uh, Pete back in the mix and staying right on top of this Michigan story for us and all the shenanigans that tend to unveil daily. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. You'll never miss a single episode if you do so. We'll talk on Friday.